It's good to see all of you on this cold and beautiful Sunday. It's good to be together in this beautiful place. If you are a guest today, we are especially glad you're here and I invite you to come back often and fill out one of the Connect cards and um, let us know who you are. We would love to, uh, to be in touch with you. Our scripture lesson. Oh, oh well, good. <laughs> Make sure I hadn't been shot in the back. I'm all right there. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> I startle very. <laughs> I startle very easily. I think Mickey would tell you that. So, uh, all righty. It is Sunday morning, and our scripture lesson is First Corinthians chapter thirteen. This is the known as the love chapter, oftentimes, and uh, some of Paul's most eloquent writing. You've heard it, most of you have, many, many times. But hear it one more time and listen for what the Spirit might be saying to us on this day. Chapter 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Not too long ago, I was thinking, praying, searching around for an idea concerning Epiphany, an Epiphany sermon series for this season of the year that begins right after the Christmas season and continues through Transfiguration Sunday and the season of Lent. The season of Epiphany is between two key events in the life of Jesus. One, his baptism, and we talked about that last week, and two, his transfiguration on the mountain. In between, Jesus' entire life and ministry pretty much is covered. The season of Epiphany explores and celebrates how God incarnates, how God becomes flesh and lives among us in Jesus. And it invites invites us to explore the life and ministry of Jesus within our own lives, within our own hearts. The Epiphany. I hope. During these days, we'll listen to the promptings of God's Holy Spirit within us. And with Jesus as our guide, there are three questions I want to 
lift up for you. And they really are the same question. So if you only hang on to one of them, that would be perfect. Number one, what is God eager to express through us? Two, how is God fulfilling divine longings through our lives and our ministries? And remember, it's a good time for me to remind us that we do believe very strongly in the priesthood of all believers through the scriptures, through Martin Luther, through John Wesley and so many others, that there's a call on all of our lives. And when we renewed our baptisms last week, we remembered and renewed our call to be in ministry in this world. It's not just for the ordained. And then the third question, how is God working through us to contribute to the reign of God in this world, to God's kingdom? There are needs all around us. There are needs in our family. There are needs in our congregation. There are needs in this community. There are certainly needs in our denomination at this time in our history. There are needs in our nation and needs in the world, just enough so that it might feel overwhelming if we're not careful and we just want to give up. But overwhelmed and fear is what happens when we believe that we've got to do it all ourselves, that we're in control of our outcomes, when we resist the movement of God's spirit. But we're designed to be co-creators with God, not to shoulder the load on our own. And I hope we'll live into this epiphany season with that in mind. Where is God calling us? What is God calling us to do? How are we to express our ministries in this world? May this be a season of divinely guided growth for all of us and for this church. Words of hope and encouragement. That's where I first started thinking about what kind of sermon series would work for uh, the season of Epiphany. Words of hope and encouragement. Words of life. Wonderful words of life. The words of the familiar old hymn that we sang a moment ago came to mind. So why not think about what some of those life words might be and focus on one of those words during each of the Sundays during the Epiphany season. And so a sermon series was born And in a time when tragic news and death words fill the air, maybe we need to hear some words of life that will give us hope. Some of the words that we need to hear from others and some of the words that we need to speak to those around us. The first three words I want to highlight are love, mercy, and grace. One of my favorite hymns, most of you know, many of you know, is from the Cokesbury Hymnal. We sang it a little while ago as an insert, Love, Mercy, and Grace. I love the tempo of the hymn. I love the lyrics. I just love it all. And so today, our wonderful word of life is love. And next week, it's mercy. And two weeks from today, it's grace. And then on the last two weeks of the Epiphany season, before the Transfiguration Sunday, we're going to talk about two other words that really come from a hymn, trust and obey. There are a couple of assumptions that I want to make clear before I begin focusing for just a short while on this word love. First, I believe that words are important and powerful. There is a tendency in our culture, it seems like to me, to devalue words, to say that that words are not important. And many of us are guilty. We get caught up in that devaluation sometimes. We say things like, it's not what you say, but what you do that matters. 
Or the old schoolyard refrain, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, 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 that's just not so, is it? Is there anyone here this morning, anyone you know that's never in their entire life been hurt by words from someone else? Is there anyone you know that's never been stung by the vicious voices of those who would harm and destroy? Death words. It's an expression that I heard a few years ago, and I've hung on to it. I can't get it out of my mind. Words that are intended to discourage honest efforts. Words designed to destroy reputations and to defame character. There are death words that need to be eliminated and eradicated from our vocabulary. Words that are inappropriate. And there are wonderful words of life that need to be inserted, that need to be placed in our vocabularies, that we need to speak often, words that magnify and multiply our ability to bless other folks. One such word, our key word for today is love. Love. It may not really be what makes a Subaru a Subaru, but do we ever catch ourselves saying things like, well... I just love those cars. I love those kinds of trucks. I love those shoes and those outfits. I love those chili dogs from the varsity. We just use the word all the time. You name it. And I'm guilty of that. I use that word love sometimes when the word like would do just as well without devaluing or or misplacing the word love. And some of you maybe have been busted for that infraction as well. Our scripture lesson for today is the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, referred to as the love chapter. This passage is probably read more than any other at Christian weddings and also at memorial services or funerals or celebration of life services. It's requested time after time. Putting this passage in context involves seeing love as the greatest of all gifts, according to Paul, the greatest of all spiritual gifts. Now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. So for me, the question is raised, is love a gift or is it a choice? And the answer is, if I may have the envelope, please. The answer is yes. Yes, love is a gift that originated with God. Love, that's who and what God is. But love is also a choice. We may choose to receive the gift and we may choose to practice it in a world where it's frequently ignored. Faith, hope, and love, these three In the greatest of love, Paul said, Jesus said the one supreme law is that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbors as ourselves. On these two commandments, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. That's the way he put it in Matthew 22 and verse 40, meaning that all lesser laws are to be judged on the basis of that one supreme law, to love God with all that we have. In any given situation, normally for Christian folk, the lesser law is to be obeyed unless it comes into conflict with the greater law, the higher law of love that Jesus has spoken of. And there are times 
when other laws are in conflict with the law of love. And so the law of love supersedes all others. Now, the law against working on the Sabbath, for example, it's an example that we find in the Gospels. And if it's a question of whether or not we should perform the work of healing people on the Sabbath, Jesus' answer is very clear. Yes, by all means, we should heal them. That's his answer. Obviously, we practice healing on the Sabbath day rather than preserving our own personal piety keeping all the laws, keeping all the regulations. Sometimes the law of love supersedes that. Yes, we we heal and we help and we encourage and we lift up. And so we put the lesser laws aside. I can't imagine how any of us would feel. I can't imagine how I would feel if I took somebody I love to the emergency room. They said, oh, sorry, you'll have to wait 24 hours. It's a Sabbath day. Well, mercy. It would not be a pretty scene, I'm sure. A legalistic religion like the Pharisees practiced in the New Testament, or many of them did, is in some ways very appealing. All we have to do when we come up upon an ethical dilemma is, well, let's open the rule book. What does the rule book say? Page 35, paragraph A. Jesus, on the other hand, says we are to love God and neighbor first. That may seem more appealing still until... We get in one of these dilemmas or predicaments or situations and we try to figure out, oh, how do you do it? How do you love folks? The difficulty is increased when we realize that by loving God and loving neighbor, Jesus doesn't necessarily mean love primarily as a feeling. Instead, he seems to mean that whether or not we have any strong feelings of compassion or interest toward others, loving God means honoring and obeying and staying in touch with God, and loving our neighbor means acting in their best interest, even if we can't stand those people. And I'm not, you know, it's the biblical sense of neighbors, not just who's in the house next door. That may or may not be a good situation for you, but... Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan to some folks who were trying to figure out who their neighbor was. I think they knew. They were just looking to justify their inaction and their lack of love. Neighbor is whoever needs us. It's the primary takeaway I see in that story. But it's not always easy. Love is more than a feeling. That might make a great song title, but love is more than that. Jim Wallace is a contemporary Christian writer that I read fairly often. And he provokes a lot of things in me, a lot of thoughts, a lot of things I've never thought about. Sometimes I say, right on, Jim, you've got it, you nailed that. And other times I catch myself saying, have you lost your mind? (laughs) I don't see it that way. That's not been my experience. But I like to read him because he does push some of my buttons sometimes. June the 16th, 2016, he wrote an article about the one-year anniversary of the Charleston massacre at Mother Emanuel Church and how that anniversary stands in the wake of another tragedy that occurred in Orlando. Let me share with you this morning just a few of his thoughts from that article while we're thinking about what love really is. 
He called it a theology of love and hate from Charleston to Orlando. And this is a little bit of what he said. He said, we've all seen the incredible depth of love that human beings are capable of. Beyond mere affection and attraction, we've seen love go so deep into unconditional commitment to those who need our love and our service. And we've even seen heroic, self-sacrificial love to others, sometimes even to strangers, folks we've never heard of and never seen before, who need the protection of love. God is love, and all who love live in God and God lives in them, First John four sixteen. And if you want to really get into this concept of Christian love and love of God, take a moment and read First John. It's just all over that short book. I believe that it's true, he said, whether those who love are religious or not, or even if they have rejected religion because what they perceive sometimes is a lack of love, a painful absence. And then he continues, we have also seen the appealing and frightening depths of hate that human beings can descend into far beyond disagreement and debate and opposition to one another's thoughts and ideas. Hate degenerates into vicious attack, verbal abuse, physical violence against other human beings. Ultimately, the violence of hate he says, is the denial of the image of God in the other. Sometimes we decide to use and abuse and sometimes even take lives. Whoever does not love, he says, does not know God for God is love. Again, 1 John, that's a book that's just all over what he's writing. Hate is not only the antithesis of love, he says, but hate is the antithesis of God. Hate always creates fear. In Charleston, at the legal hearing for the killer, both survivors and relatives of five of the victims spoke to Dylan Roof directly. And they told the young man who killed their families and friends that they forgive him and they were praying for his soul. The nation was stunned again with the totally unexpected power of love and forgiveness. Both the appalling crime and the loving response to it began changing hearts and minds across this nation. And he finishes with this thought, hate always creates fear. Love always reveals the face of God. Hate is a death word. Love is a wonderful word of life, and it's at the top of the wonderful word of life list for a reason. For God so loved, and still does, and will empower us to do the same. Amen.